today. I've been speaking about Genesis, and this has been, sorry, I've been speaking about the kingdom, and this has been an exciting journey, I think, for me, in, almost in, in rediscovery as to what the kingdom is. And I think God has been challenging me, in a sense, to, to understand deeper what it means to be in his kingdom. And the word kingdom, I think we sometimes can get a little bit Christian easy with it, but it really just means the boundaries in which a king's rule is established, right? So a king has a kingdom because it's his establishment that he has and where his rules and his um, authority lasts, right? So the kingdom of God is the the boundaries by which the authority and the, the rule and reign of God takes place, right? We can see when we're in his kingdom, we're operating in his rules and his, and his reign, if you will. So I spoke about firstly that Jesus said that the, the kingdom has come, it's at hand, it's now, and that we have access to it. And then last week, I spoke about um, the fact that as believers, we have the authority that Christ gave us that is all of the authority from heaven and on earth, that we have the authority of God that was established in the heavenlies and on earth, that there's no higher authority than what we carry in Christ, right? That we can outwork who we are through the kingdom to see God's establishment be done here, right? So God has given us as believers the authority, all the authority in heaven and on earth, that when we go into our, our day and our world, we carry with us the authority of Christ, right? We can establish his rule and reign. So this evening, I want to speak, I want to continue into this and just explain how we can operate in this and, and that we get the choice to do that. So if you're in Genesis, I want you to go to the very beginning. It says in Genesis, all through Genesis 1, but every time that God creates something, you can see there in Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light, right? Let there be light. And then in, in, in verse 9, he says, let there be an expanse. Further down, he says, let the waters under the heaven be gathered. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plant, uh, plants yielding seeds and fruits bearing treat. Later on, he says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Let the waters swarm the swarms of living creatures. Every time, G, the, every time Yahweh speaks in the beginning, he is allowing creation to take place. Almost as if it was already there, like a, if you think of like a dam that's holding the water back. And every time God says, let there, he's releasing the waters to move through. Almost as if when he made the creation, he allowed it to stay in that place and then he allows it to make, take the next step. He says, let there be. Right? It's interesting to me that he doesn't expressly create the things. He allows them to take their place. Right? But it gets really interesting when we, move, when we move into understanding what that word means. Right? That word let there is, is the word haya in, in the Hebrew. And it means to allow it to be established. To allow something to take place. God is in the beginning, he is allowing the creation to actually be made manifest, made real in the place that he's in. He's not necessarily forcing the creation, he's just allowing the beginning to take place. Almost as if it was there and he's giving it the okay. It gets really interesting when we go and see then further on in Genesis 1, go down to Genesis 1.26, when we see God make mankind, because he doesn't say... Let mankind come. 
Right? He changes his language. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He changes from, from let there be, to then he says, let us make man. He changes his language to say that what I'm going to do is I'm going to fashion mankind in my own image. I'm going to create them in a specific way that is different to everything else. Now, I know I don't have to tell you that we are different from the, the beast of the sea, but the change in language that God uses changes the way that we see ourselves and we see what we are to do in this world today. Because he creates us in a way that says, I'm going to change how I've done everything else this particular way is going to be different and I'm going to make it like me. Yahweh comes and says, I'm going to create mankind and then I'm going to give them dominion. I'm going to give them rulership over all of the other things that I've created. So I've allowed all these other things to take place for the light to come, for the waters to move, for animals to be created. I've allowed all that and then I'm going to forcibly, sorry, I'm going to to create mankind, and then I'm going to give them dominion over all of the other things that I've allowed. God creates mankind in some way as sort of like a, a manager or a steward, if you will, of all of the other creation that he's created. We are called as his sons and daughters to steward all of creation. That he says in this that I will give them dominion over all of the things he changes the way that, that he speaks of man because if we see it the other way, then God stays as this dictator God who tells us where to stand and how to walk and how to do these things. But instead, God says, I've created all these things and then I've asked you, mankind, to come and operate on my behalf in that realm. To carry a, an understanding of hyper-sovereignty, which is a fancy word to say that God knows everything and causes everything to happen. We get lost when we see what takes place in Genesis 1.26. Why would God put mankind in charge and in, or in, in dominion of all of creation if he was already calling the shots? He puts us in place as caretakers to work through him and in him, not so that he can supersede us and keep making the decisions on his behalf. I, I know a lot of people that teach and have have strongly said that God, everything that happens, happens because God has made it to happen. When we stand in that place, this verse is extraordinarily difficult to understand. Because God says, mankind, I give you dominion. Dominion means rule and reign, means that we stand in a position where we can operate with inside how God has asked us to. That's why when we get to Genesis 6 and the Tower of Babel, we see that in their creativity, in their creation, mankind came together and created something incredible that God says we must go down because they are too unified, they are too together that they are now creating through what I have created them to be. They are taking their dominion to the extremes of what it is that I've asked them to do. When we come together, that's why unity in the body is so important because God has given all of us dominion. When we get on the same page where two or more are gathered and we agree on a certain thing, that's us operating in the dominion God gave us in the garden. This has never changed. 
That's why the, the understanding the authority that we carry through Christ is that we can actually come against, as a body of people, we can come against the things in our society, in our spheres of influence that are falling apart, that are operating not in the kingdom. We as the church can come together in unity as one body and change the atmosphere of the Gold Coast. We can shift the things like homelessness and, and poverty and domestic violence and, and all of these things, so on and so forth, that are evil and awful things in our city and in our nation when we understand the dominion as Christians that we carry in his kingdom. That we understand that we are stewards and governors when they say, who's in charge of this place here? Us Christians should put our hands up and say, oh, we've been put in charge. We are actually the ones who are in this place holding this ground that we have now because of what Christ did made holy ground. That's a scary thought when you think about it. Because if we are to look around the Gold Coast and say, okay, so who's in charge of the Gold Coast? As the churches, we should put our hands up and say, no, we are. God's asked us to steward this place. And that doesn't mean we should go out every Saturday and pick up rubbish, but we can, right? That would be a part of what we're called to do. But this spiritual atmosphere, to shift the spiritual atmosphere in a city and a nation, it is on us, God using us and working through us. What Dave spoke about that YWAM did in, in Perth is at the beginning in a small section of changing the atmosphere in a city. Right, going into the city as Christians and saying, we are the authority in this place and we will change the atmosphere. We will bring the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Change over Genesis 2. Nineteen, verse 19. Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 19. It says this, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Yahweh God, the creator, creates all of these animals and plants and beasts of the field. And then he pauses in the creation process to go and check with man to find out what they should be called. And he waits for man to name each and every one of the things that have been created. Why? Why would Yahweh God, the creator, not just say, man, that's a bird, that's a fish, that's a hibiscus. Why would God wait on us to say, and then we go with crazy names of things that make not little to no sense, right? God must have been sitting and thinking, Adam, that's not, no, that's not going to do. But he waits for mankind to name the beasts of the field. It says it right there. He waits, calls every living creature, that was its name. God takes him to Adam. The reason I believe that God did that was because he's reinforcing the fact that he gave, he gave authority to mankind in the place of earth. He said, you are to rule and reign in dominion. And even so, I will allow you to name the things that I've allowed to take place. God was giving Adam right in the middle. He 
right in the midst of creation, he gave Adam the rubber stamp to say, I want you to be in charge of this because I've created you in my image and I know what you look like. I know what you're going to become. I know who you can be because I know who I, Yahweh God, am. In the very midst, he rubber stamps him to say, you're the one. God creates mankind to rule over the new creation that he's created. Through the power and agreement of creativity, God allows man to steward or manage the creation in which he has created. Then in Genesis 2.15, later down, uh, earlier, it says, The Lord God took man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I already, I've, I've preached on what those two words mean, work it and keep it. So I'm not going to go into that. But the, this blew my mind when I saw this, that, that God would take the time to allow us in our brokenness I mean, obviously then we weren't in our brokenness, but he must have known that we were open to being fallen and open to being broken. And he says, you're in charge. I think there must have been a moment where we see God look and say, well, I, I just, that, this, this verse changes the way that I see God in this. It changes the way I see myself. Because when I stand before a mirror and look at myself and I, and I have the thoughts that I know aren't of the kingdom when I am disappointed in myself or I'm, I'm upset with myself and then I see, but God would have waited for me to name the, the, the creatures of the earth. He would have given me such a responsibility because he trusted in who I am. Now, when I see things that God's asked me to do and I look in the mirror and I go, God, why would you choose me to do that? Why would you trust me with such bigger task? But God says, because I know how I created you. I know who I've made you to be. I know that you were made in my image and I know what I look like and I know what I look like in you. When we see it from that perspective and go, Adam, Adam was a, a sausage. The guy, you know, he was getting it wrong from the get-go. Kirsten didn't like my sausage comment. A bratwurst, Kirsten, would that be better? He was a bratwurst. But yet God knew and chose him and allowed him to exercise an authority that was well beyond. So I'm asking myself when, I'm, when I was writing this and when I'm reading through this, what authority has God given me that I have disqualified myself from? What has God said, Ben, I'm calling you and I've given you something, a task to do. And I've disqualified myself because I've said I'm not what he would want me to be. Or I haven't done what I think he would need me to do before I could do that. Where is God calling me that I haven't allowed for it to move into? I'm reading a book at the moment called um, After Doubt by a guy named Adre Soboda. And he said something really interesting in the book. He says, we don't get to love the God we like. We get to love the God that is. We don't get to love the God that we like. We get to love the God that is. And what he's saying is that we don't get to create God in our own image in what we want him to be like. We don't get to portray this understanding of God that fits our comfortable, neat little box. We get to love Yahweh God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the, the one who took an expanse of nothing and made it something. That when we sometimes in our, in our understanding of, of Christianity and in our, in our walk to try and expand and stretch grace, sometimes somewhere where it's not supposed to go, we create a God that's not the God of the Bible. We create a God that was not the God that is explained with fire in his eyes. 
And I think when we do that, we actually take away from the power and glory that God's asking us to step into. There are things in the scriptures that make no sense to me. There are are verses that I I read and I go, Lord, I don't understand what this means in a sense, but I can't whittle it away to make a God that better fits my understanding. Or smallen God down to say, well, no, that's not really what what he's doing. Just don't read that part, right? We have to meet some of these understandings to say, God, we love you in the things we understand and the things we don't understand. But we're coming deeper and deeper into understanding you more and more. The reason I think this is so important is sometimes I think we, we allow ourselves to be in a place God's not called us to be. Josh had a word this evening about alignment. And I think sometimes the reason we are unaligned is that we have lied to ourselves to say that this thing is alignment and that thing is not alignment. So we've made our own little path that we've said, God, I'm following you. But God says, that's not where I asked you to be. That's not what I've asked you to do. And I think sometimes we, we, we get caught in this place where we're misunderstanding that, the knowledge of God and, and, and then an actual relationship of God. I follow this um, a church leader. He also runs a, a, a Bible college and he's the funniest guy. But his, his knowledge of Scripture is amazing. And he has a lot of people that ask him on, um, on a chat what different things are sin so they'll message him really obscure things and say hey is this sin like and what he wrote about was phenomenal he talks about the fact that he's saying you're trying to get me to create for you a god that makes you feel happy staying in the place you're in but the reality is is that you don't want to be there because you're asking me the question as to whether or not sin which means you already don't want to be there but what we try to do sometimes is intellectualize god to say this is, he's okay with me doing this or he's okay with me living like this. But in the way that God has created us to carry dominion is he's saying, I don't just want you to follow my rules. I want you to rule and reign in my kingdom. I want you to be carriers of my throne, carriers of who I am into that place. It's not just let's just scrape by. It's let's be proponents of his kingdom to see change come to a, a, a city, a nation and the nations. Go with me to John chapter 18. John 18, 7 to 11. John chapter 18, verse 7 says this. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before um, Judas betrays him and he gets taken away. Verse 9. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? I love how we just quickly breeze over that, how brutal that moment would have been. He's just cut a man's ear off, bleeding, yelling, screaming. And Jesus is like, Simon Peter, pop it away, son. Come here, pop it away. Put it back in your side. 
But he, I've always loved this verse because he says, because Jesus says, put your sword in the and he says um, in, in another verse that if you live by your sword, you will die by your sword, right? In, in another take. And for me, that's always taken away my, my view of what's really taking place, that that was the lesson to learn, that Jesus is saying, if we lived by the sword, we will die by the sword. But Jesus says something here in, in John's take of it, in verse, of 11, verse 11, where he says, put your sword into its sheath. Then he asks, he asks Simon Peter a question. He says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it for you. In Matthew 26, 53 to 54, Matthew records it like this. He says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus says to Simon Peter, If I don't drink the cup, how can the, the Scriptures be fulfilled? He's not saying, this is easy for me to do. He's not saying, Simon Peter, I want to go to the cross. Let me go and do what I want to do. He's saying, should I not drink this cup? If you understand, Simon Peter, what I'm going to do, if I don't drink this cup, you can't be saved in me. If I don't drink this cup, if I don't go where the Father's asked me to go, I cannot bring you into eternity with me. And he says, what do you want from me, Simon? Do you want me to drink it or not? He says, you don't think that I could destroy these men, that I could destroy Rome, that angels could come down and level this whole playing field and I could establish a brand new kingdom and I could have a, a gnarly crown and sit over all of Jerusalem and all of the Roman Empire. Simon, should I drink the cup? And I think sometimes for us, when God asks us to do things in our own summation of what we think God is, is that we never ever think to ourselves, God's going to ask us to do something, one, that's going to be incredibly challenging, and two, that we may not want to do. Sometimes our call from God is somewhere we may not want to go. Sometimes our call from God is to do something we may not want to do. I love Heidi Baker's um, testimony because she said to God, God, send me anywhere in the world. Just don't send me to the slums of Africa and don't send me to children. Send me anywhere. I'll go anywhere. I want to go for your name, but don't send me to the slums and don't send me the children. Where does God send her? To the slums, to children. You ask her now, would you change your ministry? She says, not for the world. I wouldn't change where I am. Sometimes God's call on our life and our way to operate in the kingdom of his name and his glory is to go somewhere we don't want to go, is to do something we don't want to do. And I think for me now, when I think through this, that's the question, should I not drink this cup that God's given to me? Do I understand that, that what he's asking me to do will the short, short time be painful and, be, and be, be troublesome, but in the long run will come into more of what God has for us and more of his glory realm? Sometimes we have to be in a position that God says, go and do this, and I promise what you're looking for will be even greater on the other side. The other thing that it shows is that Jesus, right there in Matthew 26, 53 to 54, where he says, do you not know that I could bring the legions? It means that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. His father laid it out before him. He didn't have to go. He could have said no. Even when, Jesus sent, uh, the, when Yahweh sends his son as God on earth, he doesn't take his free will from him. He says, if you want, command the angels. They're yours. They're messengers of you. Command them. 
He even allows Jesus in the last moment to not go to the cross if he wants. It's up to you, my son. Because if he takes his free will, he takes love from him. But instead, he says to Jesus, I need you to go. That's why when, when Jesus is on his, on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he gets taken, he says, Father, if it's your will, take it from me. I want to do what you want me to do. And it's almost as if the revelation that God gives to him is the revelation he shares later with Simon Peter. I can send the angels and I can level the whole playing field. But my father's asked me, so I'll go. And I think for us, in the way that we operate, God is never, ever going to take your free will from you. God is never, ever going to force you to go to the place or the thing that he's called you to go and to be the kingdom in that place. This last three weeks in this kingdom series, if you want to call it a series, I'm not really sure what that means, but I've preached two times. This is the third time. In this series, there's been three things that God's been highlighting. The first is, is that the kingdom of God is at hand right now. The kingdom of God is accessible to us. The second is that we have access and authority to rule with Christ in that kingdom. Kingdom of God is at hand. And we have access and authority to rule with Christ in that, in that kingdom. And the last is, is that we have the choice to live in or move away from the kingdom of God. We have the free choice to live in or to move away from the kingdom of God. Every moment that we live in our life, every sphere of influence, every thing that we do with our, our wife or husband, with our kids with our workplaces, with our family and our friends. In every aspect, we get the freedom and the opportunity to drink the cup that God's laid before us. We can make it multiple cups. We can make it one cup over your life. Whichever analogy helps you see that we get the freedom to choose moment by moment. And the beauty of that is that we're going to get it wrong, all of us across the board. There's going to be times and seasons where we, we get it wrong where we move in the wrong place. And God will never leave us nor forsake us in that place, but he will also never stop calling you to the thing that he's asking you to do. You can run away from the core God's put as long as you want, but when you finally stop and say, God, I want more of you, and he says, it's right here where I asked you 10 years ago, five years ago, four years ago today. It's right there. So when we operate in the kingdom, when we see God and, and ask God, Lord, what are you calling me to? What are you asking me? Oftentimes, when I ask that, God reveals something he's already showed me. And I go, oh, yeah, I thought you'd forget that. I thought you had let that go. It's been five years, Lord. But he calls us into that place because that's the profound destiny that he's laid on your life to outlay where he's calling you and making you. When he says, I know my son, I know my daughter, and I've created them to have dominion over this situation, I know they're the right person for the right task. So this is what I want to do. I want us to break into small groups and pray together. But I want to see if we can be bold enough to ask in our little small group if there's something that you need encouragement, if there's something that God has called you to and you know you've left it behind, if you don't know what that is, then ask the person in your small little group to pray for you and to reveal and help, sorry, to help reveal what God is calling that into. Now, look, if someone is praying for you in a moment, 
and they say, I feel like God's calling you to the Horn of Africa. Please don't go buy a ticket to the Horn of Africa. Just wait. Pump the brakes. Have a little pray through. Let's see what happens. Don't let this be the beginning starting point. Maybe you already know that the Horn of Africa, you, you know it's been put down. You've put, delayed your ticket. Then it's a very different story. But don't take someone's prayer right now as a be-all and end-all. We're going to together learn and grow in how to pray and ask God to reveal himself in this moment. Does that make sense? Does anyone have a question before we jump into 